Joe, Joe L, and the floor is yours. You can, okay. you can share. Thank you, Louise. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for holding space for us today, Louisa. Rose, thanks for asking me to uh, speak today. I appreciate it. And thank you all for being here. This is, uh, uh, you know, so encouraging being around other people that are sober, uh, especially living in the, a country that is uh, ninth in the world for beer consumption per capita. Um, it's 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 really refreshing to be around people that aren't uh, insisting that I have a drink. Um, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, 16 years ago today, I had my last drink. Um, however, it's not my anniversary. Um, I didn't know I was going to go to AA. I didn't know I was going to get sober. I just uh, woke up at 1.23 in the afternoon. I still remember that digital clock back when I had digital clocks. And it said 1.23, and I thought it was morning, but I couldn't understand where the bright light was coming from. And I was all confused. I couldn't believe that the guests were gone. I The day before, I cooked a dinner party for eight people. I'm a chef, so it was uh, unusual for chefs to be off on weekends, but it was a Friday night, and I cooked for eight of my friends. And at 3.30, I remember this as clear as day, I, I started um, cooking at 3.30 for the dinner party. And I, I was having a Guinness. It was my first drink of the day. And I even said out loud, I said, tonight you will not get wasted. Just, you can have a buzz tonight, that's it. Um, I don't remember the end of the evening, to be honest with you. I don't remember a lot of things about that night. The things I do remember were very atypical of me and things that I strongly didn't, uh, went against my principles, I'll put it that way. Um, I was flirting with my buddy's girlfriend, um, which I, one, I <laughs> I didn't even find her attractive. I don't mean to be mean about that, but she's not here. And I I mean, she, she kind of was, but she was very kind and very sweet. And uh, but anyways, that was bizarre to me. I did it in front of my buddy. I did it in front of my then wife, which, you know, th there were some things um, when you tell people that you're a recovering alcoholic that that aren't they just automatically assume certain things about you. And that's all I really share about my drinking today, because, you know, I, I drank for 30 years. The last 15, I was drunk almost every night. Not every night, but almost every night. Um, I didn't drink and go to work and stuff like that. But uh, the the things that didn't happen, we call we. I don't know if this is familiar to any of you, but back where I got sober, which is Asheville, North Carolina, in two thousand eight, we called it these things yets. I never had a DUI. I never been arrested. I never got into a fight. I never cheated on a partner. Um, I never was homeless. I never got fired. And. Towards the end of my drinking, I kept, I'd even been pulled over by police once while I was, I had nine, nine shots of, of liquor in me and he gave me a speeding ticket. <clears throat> um, that's how lucky I was. And then one day something happened. I was driving drunk and it really made me think that I'm going to skip all that stuff. And one day what's going to happen. I was totally convinced that this was going to happen in my life. I was going to hit another car and kill somebody else. 
I was absolutely 100% convinced that was how my life was going to play out. Uh, and that was on my mind a lot. Um, but because I drove, I drove thousands and thousands of times drunk, like very drunk, like, I mean, wasted, sometimes even blackout. Even as a teenager, I would run downstairs to see if my car was in the driveway. Where the hell, you know, how did I park? Where is it, you know? It was always there, no problem. I lost my car in Santa Fe, New Mexico once, got drunk and forgot where I parked it. Um, but so anyways, that was, you know, we, we all know what drinking is. As far as drugs, I did get into, uh, um, I, I never started smoking pot on a regular basis till I was 30. I went through a divorce. I always say that's the year I became a real alcoholic on uh, on uh, November 26th of 92, because uh, that was the, the date of my first divorce. Uh, and I went out and got wasted that night. Actually, I went home and got wasted. And that started it. It became almost a nightly thing for the next 15 years. Uh, so... Um, Well, you know, I, like I said, I dabbled in drugs a little bit, weed, mushrooms. And then eventually one day I, I was in the kitchen. I was a chef, as I said, and uh, I, we had an accident between me and another cook. Um, I didn't see him and I got a third degree burn on my arm. Um, so this gave me uh, 750 milligrams of hydrocodone, an endless supply. They said, just let us know when you're out. We'll give you all you want. Which, what the hell is that about? But and then I had a medical procedure and doctor says, I'll prescribe you hydrocodone. I said, right on. So I was playing these two doctors getting all this hydrocodone. And <clears throat> I was, I was started doing that and mixing it with alcohol. And then I would go out, which was uh, crazy, but that was, I didn't, I didn't do acid, Coke, speed, crank, crack, meth, anything like that. Um, I only did the pills for about two months. And one day driving home, I was all excited to go home and get my hydrocodone. By the time I got home, I decided, hey, you know what? You're going to fuck up your life really bad with these. You're going to kill yourself. I went home and threw them out. I'm sorry about my language. I just realized what I said there. Um, I still talk like a chef, so I apologize for that. Uh, so, you know, um, on, on the... On the day of February 16th of 08, when I woke up and I said, I'm not going to drink ever again. I haven't had a drink since then. Um, and I hated AA for the first three years um, or so, maybe longer. I don't remember. I did have an amazing sponsor. Um after I fired my first sponsor, who was one of my best friends, that was stupid. Why did I think I could do that? And why did he think he could do that? That should have never happened. I don't think you should have one of your best friends be your sponsor. That's for me personally. I'm not giving advice. For me, it did not work. I fired him after five months. I was getting ready to start drinking again. And I didn't. But, um, you know, I hated AA and I hated going. I would go to one meeting a week. I would go maybe five minutes late and I would leave as soon as we got done with the uh, serenity prayer so nobody could talk to me. And that's that was my dedicated, that, as much dedication as I was to, to AA then. Uh, and I had all sorts of people give me advice 
um, telling me I was never going to make it. I mean, who the hell would ever tell a newcomer that? You're never going to stay sober. I, I, Someone said something this morning about, you know, uh, there's some really shitty advice going around out there in, in the rooms, you know, between AA and non and, and, and secular meetings. And uh, I still go to some regular traditional AA meetings. But I had people tell me, you know, that you're never going to make it. You're the angriest person I ever met. Um, you know, things like that, which probably helped me, you know, because I had someone tell me, too, that I'd never be a cook. And I was it's been 45 years. I've spent my whole day today in the kitchen cooking for a, a dinner for guests at our little Airbnb here in Croatia. Um, you know, so sometimes, you know, it's like it's like uh, uh, Jordan, Michael Jordan said that, you know, when he got cut from uh, basketball and what up the freshman year in high school, whatever it was, that made him more determined to play basketball and be good at it. And so um, I told, I remember telling my ex-wife, this one guy told me, I'm never going to make it. And I said, if you ever come home and find me with a bullet in my head, it's because I didn't want Harry to be right. <laughs> like if I felt like myself, I was going to go drink. I didn't want this guy to be right about me going back out so much that I said I would shoot myself in the head. I don't know what I'd shoot myself with because I didn't own a gun. But um, so there was a lot of, you know, my I would go and tell my sponsor these things, or I'd call him and say, "These people are just giving me shit about everything." It's like he said, "There's a there's another saying. It's not really a AA slogan, but uh, some of these people are here because they're not all there." And I like that. And I I I find that there's are a lot of people in here for all sorts of reasons. Really, you know, some of them are to become like a control freak. So whatever the case is. I, I seem to be running into that a lot, but I didn't want to give up uh, drinking either. So um, we'll skip ahead to, uh, you know, a couple. Well, then I got remarried and I'll just put this up there right now that my most, I know this isn't the fourth or fifth step, but my most embarrassing and shameful thing to say about my life is that I've had, uh, <clears throat> Three failed marriages. Um, I moved here with my wife. She was from Croatia. We came here on vacation. I really wanted to move here. Eventually, uh, some things, weird things were going on in North Carolina. The hate crimes on immigrants were skyrocketing. This was in 2016. And she was a teacher and she had kids bringing knives and bullets to class. And she said, it's just a matter of time. I said, well, it's, you're probably right, you know, you, you know, and they would tell her to go fuck herself that she's an immigrant. She shouldn't be living in their country and things like that. So I, I remember asking her on August, hey, can we uh, just sell everything? Just go like, I don't want to do this anymore. Just way of life. And no, I needed 10 more years. Two months later, she said, you know what? She was in tears one day coming home from work. She said, I'm ready to move too. I said, all right, let's make it work. So the following June, we moved here, which was 2017. Excuse me. <clears throat> we moved here and I was living, we lived somewhere temporarily for two months so I could go to AA meetings live in English on Monday nights. I had to drive an hour to get there, which was amazing. It was wonderful. Then we bought this house that, well, she lives in the main house now, so I'm divorced from her as well. 
she lives in the main house, which is where the Airbnb is. And I live in a, uh, what the creation word is Kuchitsa, a cottage. I live in a cottage behind, so we share a dog. We share our dogs and, uh, which is nice. And we get along. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, everything's cool there, but, um, so we're now living in Croatia. Once we moved here, it's a, it's a village. It's a, like an old fishing village of 1200 people. You know, I mean, there's guys that drink beer for breakfast. You can go downtown into coffee bars, Co a coffee bar is a bar. They serve coffee. They serve alcohol. When I go for coffee, I have to go to a bar, you know, for me, it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't matter, but, um, so now all of a sudden I have no meetings to go to. And this was before Zoom meetings, 2017. So I would drive sometimes an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes to go to a meeting that wasn't even in English. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm using up a lot of gas. I'm making no money. I'm not doing this anymore. I tried an online meeting back then. You had to type everything you said. I said, oh, the hell with that. And so I didn't go to a meeting for like almost, I think like a year, year and a half. And then Zoom and COVID came along, and that was a, a, a you know amazing thing for me. Um, but I wasn't going even. And one day, out of the blue, somebody from back home wrote a, a, an email, one sentence, one question: "Are you going to meetings now that they're on Zoom?" I said, "I'm not. Why the hell am I not?" And I'll tell you what: this has been for me the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> um, for me to get to meetings. I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't have to park. All the meetings here are everybody. Like when I went to Split, which is an hour and 45 minutes from here, 10 of us were in the room, nine of us were smoking and I thought I was gonna vomit. I just can't handle that. So uh, life here was very stressful. My first two years, I had no support. Uh, I had no AA support. Um, then I started on the meetings, the COVID meetings, like I said, and that was absolutely beautiful. Um, our relationship was like really bottoming out hard from all the stress that we opened a business together. Everything I had to go and do, my wife had to go be my interpreter. So I was like a little baby being, you know, I hated that. I'm an independent person normally, and I despise that. So our, our relationship was bottoming out. And then uh, two and a half years ago, I started having a sharp pain in my stomach and I went and after two months of researching like with doctors, a lot of doctors, like what the hell's going on? I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, so more tests, I finally was put in the hospital, blah, 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 got started on chemo. And But you know, I never, when I got that news that, hey, you've got stage four cancer, I didn't have a desire to run out and grab a drink or smoke a joint or something, you know, that was, that's a relief, man. That's, and that's so different for me. I imagine probably be different for a lot of us. You know, I used to drink a lot when I had problems or when I didn't have problems or when I was celebrating, whatever, but problems or anger, for sure. I would drink a lot, an extra amount, you know, but I didn't have that desire. That was, that was a true miracle for me, you know? Uh, and then, um, I was in my first round of chemo, um, uh, steroidal therapy, immunotherapy, all that. Um, I would drive myself there, go and go through all that stuff on my own. And then one day, and, um, I was just about halfway through it, I guess about four months after my diagnosis, my wife said she wanted to, uh, split up. 
So uh, I didn't beg her to stay. I, I never wanted to be somewhere where I'm not wanted, which reminded me kind of like my early sobriety. I really didn't feel wanted or appreciated or or anything in AA. Um, but so not much was said about that. The strange thing for me was I'm 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 I I can become a very emotional person. My my therapist when I got sober told me she says you're a good crier for a man, and I'll tell you what I didn't cry when I was told that I had uh, cancer, and I didn't cry when my wife said she wanted to leave. Um, and then f four five months after she split up, uh, she told me she wanted out. This is just two and a half years ago now. Uh, my dad died and um, <clears throat> the day after my dad died, I had to go and hear the results of my PET scan after my, which was, you know, after my first session of first round, I guess it was six sessions of chemo and I was uh, declared, uh, my cancer was uh, declared in remission, which was, uh, I can't describe the emotions, but I can certainly feel them right now. Um, Dad died one day. I'm in remission the next. The very next day, I was on a plane back to the United States. And uh, my dad always told me he wanted me to do the eulogy at his funeral. Not My dad had a very strained relationship with all of his kids, five of us. And uh, he used to hit me when I was a kid, you know, when... Um, and I mean, to where I'd have bloody noses and so forth, things like that, um, which I always resented him for. We had huge arguments over it as adults. We eventually talked about it. Um, I I forgave him for what I thought I had to forgive him for. And I hope he forgave me for all the things that uh, I needed forgiving, you know, forgiveness for. But I did give it a eulogy, stayed sober. What I mean, I look at my dad's funeral and all that whole time, which is really precious time with your family. I also looked at it as the biggest, most important event of my life was my dad's funeral. And I got to be there for my mom. And my brothers and sisters, and I was sober through the whole thing. I don't. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how this works. I'm just so grateful that it does. Um, uh, last summer, I was feeling horrible again. I went back and they decided that my cancer had returned. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were told by the doctors uh, overseeing my mom, she's 91, that she has probably between a week and several months to live. They said, we can't pinpoint it, um, but she won't be getting any, any better than she is right now. So, you know, I'm kind of waiting on that. Um, the toughest part, my mom has made, she asked me to promise her I would not drink when I died. And I told her I wouldn't do that. Um, because not that I plan on drinking, not that I think I will. I really think I won't. That's a, that's such a, um, I hate to use the word blessing. I feel uh, it's such a miracle to go through the 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 death the the death of a parent. 
to go through these big things in life, divorce, cancer, everything, which are all normal parts of life. You know, it's not like I had a child die, which is a really, uh, you know, I don't have children, but um, so when my mom asked me, would you promise me you won't drink when I die? Because her and I are, <clears throat> are very close. She's been my rock since I was born. And, you know, I'm just an alcoholic. So, like, that was obvious when I was probably three years old. I was breaking shit. I was in trouble all the time. Grades all through school were horrible until I got to college. Um, then I realized this is a lot of fun learning. So, so my mom was always there. I also had a severe stutter when I was a child. I had it from the time I started school at the time I graduated culinary school. Um, and I really think it was just nerves from from um, hating school so much. I'm dyslexic and have learning disabilities. So it was very stressful for me. But my mom was there through all that. And, and you know, she's probably the only reason I finished school. Um, not that my dad wasn't supportive. He was very supportive as well, especially with my career. He really helped me get that going off the ground. Um, but I told her I wouldn't promise her that I'd stay sober for her when she passed away because really, I believe, anyway, it's just my belief that you can't get sober to save a relationship. You can't get sober for your wife, for your kids. You know, it'll certainly help all that, I believe. But I can't, you know, I can't stay sober because I told my mom I would. I have to stay sober because for me and because I want this, you know, and I want this so bad. Like I want, I really, truly want to die sober. Um, and, and I don't mean coming back. I really... Like I'm really focused on trying to do what I can. I come to these to, to new meetings. I go to some traditional ones back in the States. I constantly work on uh, my spirituality. I meditate every morning, which I really, really enjoy. Um, so I'm trying to do the next right thing, I was always told. And, um, you know, I haven't drank through or used uh, through anything, any of these big hurdles um, that life throws at us so far, you know, and I know my mom will be the biggest challenge when she passes. Uh, and, you know, sitting on that damn plane, I always have to have an aisle seat and it's always the bottle of scotch on that cart right next to my head, you know. So I just look out the window. I just look the other way. I was like, just, you know, I can smell alcohol in the air on the plane, the, you know, who hadn't love to get drunk in airports. I mean, anyone that flew a lot, I used to fly to Italy uh, to go to cooking school from the States and I would get hammered on the plane, get hammered in the airport, you know, take a day or so to recover and start getting hammered in Italy. So that is, um, that is tough. It's a tough enough flight, you know, it's anywhere from 14 to, I don't know, I've had some problems with flights before and it's taken me over two days to get there. So, um, that's a difficult challenge, which I am concerned with. I'll stay in touch with my sponsor about it. I will, uh, do meetings, you know, the best I can, but, um, I, you know, back where I came from in, in the States, when you, when you celebrated and you went up to get a chip, people would say, how did you do it? And my honest, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Um, uh, somebody recently asked me if you, we're going to write an autobiography. What would you call it? I'd say the luckiest man alive. Cause that's how I feel. 
And they said, but you have stage four cancer. I said, I'm still lucky. You know, I got uh, the United States decided to give me disability to live on. I'd be totally screwed over here if I didn't have it, you know? I mean, I did pay into the system for 50, uh, was it 45 years? I think she said, uh, but I never expected I'd really get it, you know? So I'm lucky. There's things that happen to you when you have cancer in your head, you know, that all of a sudden they're not important anymore. You know, those little things that really piss you off. Okay, I still get pissed off in traffic, sorry. But uh, I'll try and let go of that one day too. Um, but you know, that some of the small things anymore, just I can see a little more clearly knowing that I have cancer, I probably have less time to live than I thought I would. Um, that stuff doesn't mean shit anymore. It just is not important. Uh, so, you know, there's some gifts coming even from the darkest corners of, of, of my life. But uh, being sober and having connections with all of you and the other groups that I go to is the greatest gift. And, you know, a big thing here, um, a couple posted one day on Facebook at this group. Um, it's not a sober group, but uh, it's for expats from that live in this area that we get together once in a while to chat and have a coffee and stuff. And this couple said, hey, you know, does anyone want to have coffee? I said, I'll meet you tomorrow. I'll be there. And we got talking an hour into our conversation. They told me that they each had eight years of sobriety. In three months, four months, it was been, we've become incredible friends. And we, they thank me every time for just uh, being so, a, a sober friend here in this country, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's a true miracle sobriety. It's the biggest gift I've ever been given. Um, I hope, of course, I hope that I don't ever go back out. But I will have to say that the connection with those of you that I, you know, people I've never met and the connection I have with my other AA people is the most important thing. And when you come to these meetings and you share your experiences, that to me gets in my head, gets in my heart. And, you know, especially when people say I've got a week sober, that just blows my mind and it kind of, it hits me so deep that I don't ever want to go out again. So when I listen to you guys share your experience, strength and hope, that really concern, uh, confirms my my uh, my belief in, in recovery whether it be, you know, secular or, or traditional meeting or anything like that. So this is the greatest gift I've ever received. And uh, I'm, I'm happy we have these Zoom meetings that, you know, allows people to come here and, and support my sobriety. And I can come here for you guys and help you support yours. That's all I have. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support and your love here today. I appreciate it.